I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversation, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Wait till you hear this episode. My guest for today is country singer Abby Anderson, and this is a powerful episode. We talk about what it was like for Abby to grow up in the Mormon religion where everything she did was supposed to be for somebody else, what it was like being a people pleaser what it was like going into the music industry, and what it was like losing her own sense of self until she came through the other side. It is incredible. We end the episode with her song, Bad Posture, which is all about leaving her eating disorder behind. It is incredible. She has another song called Insecure that I want you all to listen to as well. I don't want to wait one more second. Let's just jump right in. Here we go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am sitting here staring at a soul that is so beautiful and so powerful. I would like to introduce all of you to our guest, Abby Anderson. Hello. Abby, so glad to have you on the show. Me too. I was, um, just so your listeners know, because we were talking for a couple minutes before, and I think Karen, if if you guys haven't met her in person, she's exactly what you think she is. Like, you're just so, you have such a peaceful energy about you, and I just, like, usually I talk really, really loud and really fast, and I just feel like... I'm going to talk like this and all peaceful and you just have that energy about you. So thank you for bringing that here. Abby, it's, it's my pleasure. And you and I were talking also just about our energies connected right away. Yes. (laughs) By the way, everyone, we are going to get into the interview. It's not just Abby and I talking, but (laughs) this is what happens when people are recovered. You get, you don't hear all that other external noise and I just get to sit on my in my closet on Zoom and see your incredible soul for who you are because nothing else matters, right? Amen. Amen. So that's what's happening with us. So Abby, introduce yourself to the listeners. Yes. Well I am Abby Anderson. I am 24 years old. I'm a singer-songwriter based in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a Texas girl, so I'm a Texans out there. Hell yeah, baby. <laughs> and uh, I moved to Nashville when I was 17. I've always done music. I've always wanted to perform and write songs and tour the world. 
Um, and I've been really, really lucky to, to do that. So, you know, the plan is to just keep building, building this as much as I can and keep touring and writing. And that's the, that's the dream. I also want to say, and this is true to life, that the dream kind of got a little complicated. Oh, like, sure. it, the dream it, sucked for a while. Yeah, the dream, it, was, was, like, the dream like, was hell for a minute. I'm like, wait a minute. I think we're looking at the word nightmare for a while before <laughs> oh, it turned yeah. into a dream. So, oh, yeah. Abby, tell the listeners, because first of all, if anyone has not heard the song Bad Posture, just I want you to stop this. Well, actually... Here's a little little teaser. We're going to play it at the end. Amazing. It's the, it's the best song I've ever heard. And it is all about what happens when we shrink into an eating disorder and lose our voice and our sense of self. So can you share with the listeners? And by the way, all your music is beautiful. So I don't, I don't want to say, but this song gives me chills. No, this song is special for sure. <gasps> Talk about the song and talk about, yeah, what was the nightmare like for you? And yes. growing up, you know, you grew up Mormon as a people mm. pleaser. And, you know, that was the, that was how you were taught to respect. And and, and then you go into the entertainment industry. Yeah, it was which a perfect is story. Yep. There you go. All right. Well, I, let's just, let's start. Just That's a good up. starting point. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess it all started growing up. I'm the second of seven kids. And so I think from an early age, for some reason, I created this narrative that said, I get more attention when I'm the peacemaker. I get more attention and I survive in this family. I, I don't like using the term survive because I had a, an amazing childhood. My parents are amazing. But I got the most attention. I felt the most love by being the peacemaker, the entertainer, the one who, you know, never cried, was never angry. That's how I functioned in my family. And I look back now, and I even had this talk with my sisters because, you know, my sisters were very expressive with their emotions. When they were angry, they were angry. And when they were sad, they were sad. And when they were pissed off, they were pissed off. And I now I admire that, you know, because as a kid growing up, I was praised for not showing those emotions, for always just being, you know, oh, Abby's our happy kid. Abby's our little peacemaker. Abby's our, you know, the favorite child. And, 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 and that was a joke growing up. Abby's the favorite child. But I wore that as a badge. I mean, so I just never allowed myself to get angry, to get sad. If I was... I would just stuff that down as far, far down as I could. And on the surface, smiles, happy, all I, that stuff. I want to interrupt really quickly. Yeah. And and Abby, you and I talked earlier, there's going to be a lot of back and forth. Mm. That is a hallmark building up to an eating disorder. And an example that I use, and forgive me for you're sharing your story. And I'm no, like, let me do it. But this is an example. I had a friend from high school once when we were older, I we were in college or whatnot, and I got so angry at her. And she said to me, wow, I must have really done something wrong. And I said, why? And she said, because you never get mad and you're mad at me. And Abby, inside I thought, I'm angry all the time. Oh, I got chills. Oh my gosh. I have chills you saying that. <laughs> I've just never felt I was able to express it. Mm-hmm. 
And so, and and that means you can't express pretty much any emotion. So right. forgive me. Continue on. No, Go. don't. I mean, Garen, you're the professional here. Don't apologize for, <laughs> for hell you're teaching me. So <laughs> please interject. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say that too, is growing up, I was actually extremely sensitive. I mean, like I always felt so sensitive to, I almost call it like now looking back when I, went through therapy and stuff, my therapist would tell me like, you had a superpower, but you weren't allowed to use it. Your superpower was reading the room, was knowing I could walk in any room and immediately know how my mom was feeling, how my dad was feeling and how to function in that space, right? So I was little Miss Chameleon. Anything you need me to be, I'll be it. You know, anything you need to appease your anger. Like every, I was little Miss, you know, everything's okay, it's okay. and. I would just shift and change myself if I needed to be the entertainer, if I needed to make someone laugh. Um, basically, I was everything that everyone else needed me to be that I, I, I had no idea what I even needed. It was just never even a thought as to what does Abby need. Let's take that. Let's take Abby the chameleon who just always changes to who you're supposed to be with whoever you're in front of and at a young age put you in the entertainment industry yeah and what what is that like as a people pleaser as the chameleon the one who always says everything is fine even when inside your intuition is saying nope this doesn't feel right yeah I think for a long time what's interesting too Karen is that I learned like I always had this gut feeling growing up. Like I always had this innate feeling of, I know what's going to work and I know what's not. And I can see how this is going to go, whatever situation I was in. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't any fault of my family. I just also felt like that quote unquote superpower was looked down upon in a way. Like if I was crying for some reason, I was made fun of. That's just like, we were a family where we laughed at each other probably too much, you know, for any sort of range of emotions. If you were angry, if you were sad, if you were crying, you were laughed at and you were made a joke, you know. And I, and looking back now, I think, you know, my parents were just functioning with the tools they had. They were raised in families where emotions were not okay. Emotions were scary. Anything but happy and you know, just shove it under the rug. Anything other than that was not okay. It doesn't matter how chaotic the situation was. And so my, I felt like my sensitivity and my intuition was not okay. I Something was wrong with me. I was the weird one, <laughs> right? And, um, and that'll make you feel like an outsider as a kid. That'll make you feel like, okay, I'm weird. I don't belong anywhere. I see things. I feel like I see things and feel things other people don't feel. When in actuality, I'm just really good at stuffing that shit down. <laughs> That's really all I was. So no, I, um, in the midst of all this, like music was always my love. And I grew up in a really musical family. We all played piano. And I think I definitely used that as an outlet. Like songwriting was where I was able to be emotional and angry and sad. And it, I, it's so funny listening to songs now that I was writing when I was like 12 And I'm writing songs about like deep, deep sadness and anger and resentment. And I'm like, 
what 12 year old is like, is like writing songs about this stuff, you know, but it makes sense now that it would show up in my songwriting where I felt like it was the only place where I was allowed to feel it and that I was praised for it. Like when I was on stage and writing about it, that's when my parents were like, this song is amazing, blah, blah, blah. So I was praised for my emotions. It's so interesting. And I just thought of this. And this is something I've never talked about on the show before. So I got my undergrad in creative writing. So usually like super feelers, we are super feelers. Yet I, like you, was given messages that I was too much of a super feeler. So I was very creative in writing things down. And I realize that my writing was very, very dark, but it was always about someone else's life because I thought other people were allowed to have these emotional, big emotional things that happen in life and it wasn't okay for me. So I'd write these dark stories about other people and it was my only way of getting out these super intense emotions. I couldn't even on paper, Abby, claim them to be my wow. own. Wow. Just thought. Oh that. my gosh, it's so crazy too, Karen. I, I've kept journals since I was like nine. And I'll read back on those journals and I would apologize in my journal for my anger. Like I would write about something like, oh, today, you know, my sister, blah, blah, blah. I'm so angry. And then the next sentence would be like, but you know, actually, like, I'm sorry I said that. Like, that's mean. I have it so good. Like, as if someone else, who am I apologizing to? <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. Even in our private thoughts, we still feel like censoring mm, ourselves. Absolutely. And by the way, that's not unique to people with eating disorders. That's That's kind of universal. It just depends how far you go with that critical voice or that, you know, apologetic voice. So... So keep going. So here you are, this beautiful yeah, so, soul. And- <laughs> so I'm in Texas and and um, I decided when I was 15 that I wanted to homeschool. So that, because by this time I'm already touring Texas. I'm, you know, my mom's managing me and we're booking shows every weekend. I mean, it was so much fun. And um, I told my dad, you know, I really want to move to Nashville. Like this is what I've always known I was meant to do. And my parents, their credit, full support. And they were like, hell yeah, like finish high school. As soon as you're done, move out to Nashville. And that's exactly what I did. So boots on the ground in Nashville when I was 17 and um, just started in the Nashville grind of knocking on doors, playing every bar I could. I even got like a fake ID. And when when the bouncers were like, kid, you know, this is fake. I was like, I'm not going to drink. Like, I'm a Mormon girl. I'm not. <laughs> You're the only one who uses a fake ID to get into a bar and not drink. You're like, I'm not drink. I know. <laughs> they, they were probably confused. Like, oh, they're probably, they're, they're okay. like, okay, sure. Like, so, um, no, two years of doing that, I signed my first record deal. And I was 19. And I mean, that's something that, every everyone in this town dreams of and so I felt so so lucky to have like usually it takes people they call it a 10-year town you know the fact that I was able to land one two years in you know I felt super super lucky um and that's also when I noticed like 
all of these emotional things I was dealing with came to a head and manifested as an eating disorder, which I never thought, like, I, I never thought would ever be a thing. Um, I think in the background, though, too, in my family, there's six girls and one boy. And so diet culture was always at the forefront of our home. It was always, my mom was always talking about her weight, always talking about, oh, I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight. Um, And like, I noticed I would get more attention from my sisters and my mom when I lost weight. And I would get bad attention if I was looking, you know, quote unquote puffy, or if I was gaining weight, whatever. Which I mean, hell, you're a girl going through puberty. Like you are going to fluctuate. Hell, I'm 24. I still fluctuate a good, you know. (laughs) Sweetheart, I'm 52 and I still fluctuate. It is beautiful and it's natural. Like that's that's it right there. It's beautiful and it's natural. So keep going. Sorry. Yeah, but I think that was that was definitely always in the background that it started from a young age. Somewhere along the way, I connected the wires of suppressing my emotions and focusing on my body as a way to, I don't know, like receive more praise or control something. Um, So that was always a thing in the background. And, you know, I guess like the whole disorder really started a year into my record deal when I started touring and recording music. Um, Because if you go into a record deal and you don't know how to stand up for yourself, not even, not even stand up for yourself, just being able to say no, like really, really simple common sense things like that. It's going to be hell. It's going to be absolutely hell. And, you know, looking back now, I realized like, sure, there were like, there were definitely good and bad times in my record deal experience. I also realized like, I don't even think my label knew they didn't know what I was going through because I never told anybody. I never said no. I mean, the the whole music part of, you know, you're pushed into a little bit of hey, we think this song's going to work at radio. You should really record this. You should, you should, you should. And it's like, you know, me growing up from my background, I was like, yeah, okay. But deep down in my gut, my gut intuition knew this song is not going to work. This is not me. This is not who I am. But I never said that. I never spoke up for myself. The interesting thing that you just connected, it's when you said this song's not going to work, it's not me. And that's music expression. It feels like from, from the short conversation we've been having, you, you want to express yourself. You want, and so for someone to say, you need to do this, this, and this, and it's not yours. It's, it's that, okay, yep, sure. Everything's fine. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And then behind closed doors, what was happening? I mean, behind closed doors. So, like, on the outside at the label, I was, quote-unquote, favorite child again, right? Because I was the one, I was the artist making everybody happy. Everybody was happy with my decisions. And internally, that's when I started getting sick. That's when 
I can't remember. I'm trying to remember like when the switch flipped for me. And I think it was when I really started touring. Naturally, when you're on the road, you're just really busy. And you just try to eat when you can because you are that busy. You're sleeping three, four hours a night, waking up 5 a.m. to catch a flight, to go to a radio station, to shake some hands, try to get a radio ad. And then you're like, oh, crap, it's 1 p.m. I haven't eaten today. We should go get lunch. So naturally, like it wasn't a conscious thought of like, oh, I'm going to stop eating. It just kind of you just get busy, you know? And um, so I had lost, I don't know how much weight I lost, but I had slimmed down a little bit, I guess, in their eyes. <laughs> like, I didn't even think about it or notice it. Um, but someone, someone had said something to me saying like, dang, like, you really slimmed down. You look really good. And that was the catalyst of me going, oh, this is a new way to get approval. Like, this is, in my mind, I heard favorite child, favorite child, right? And I, and then I just turned that one comment into, okay, this is how people like me. This is how they like to see me. This is how, you know, I can get more attention, basically. But I knew, but deep down, if I dig deeper, it was an excuse, like, that was bullshit. What really was going on was it was a way for me to control something where I felt totally out of control. Yeah. It was something to focus on to ignore what I was really, really feeling. I also know from my own experience that when people were telling me that I was looking better and like, how are you doing it? I kept thinking, oh, inside, I feel like shit. But maybe if enough people keep telling me how good I look, because I had no sense of self, though, Abby, that's so that's that's the big thing. I had no internal sense of self. So the external validation was all I could grasp onto. Yeah. I had no confidence. I had no voice. So finally, I was like, oh, here's something. And people think I'm good at it. No one's ever thought I was good at anything. Mm. And so that's what's so dangerous about when people comment on no matter what the comment is on somebody's appearance. I just don't do it anymore. I don't do it anymore. Like if, you know, people notice if you've lost or gained weight, I don't say shit. Because it's the least important thing. Like, if I haven't seen you in a year, and the first thing I say, you got so, gosh, you've lost weight. Like, golly, that's so sad that it's the first thing we see in each other is if you've lost weight or not. <laughs> By the way, I need to like bring you into all of my therapy sessions now because I say to clients all the time, especially around the holidays. I'm going to go see somebody. I haven't seen them in a long time. They're going to notice that my body's changed. And, and I they say, probably will. That's not why they're going to see you though. It's exactly. Not, it's not about your body. They're going to see you, your soul, your spirit, your energy. Exactly. Exactly. And what's so sad too is like you brought up holidays and stuff. I remember even like feeling like, oh, I want to lose weight before I go home because like people are going to say nice things, you know, wanting to look good just for my family, <laughs> like, you know, and, 
and I'm not blaming my family. Like, that's just kind of the culture that, I mean, my mom was raised in the eighties where diet culture was like messed up. Like, so of course she was raised with all those diet fads and like, you know, the skinnier, the better. And so what if you're not eating, you look amazing. So I don't blame her for a second. She's just as much a victim of the culture as anybody. Um, what was it like being in the industry where now everything I'm, I I want to say is critiqued, but it feels like maybe things are criticized. Like how did how did getting bigger in the entertainment industry add to this pressure for you, or was that not a part of it? What's interesting is I realized it was just pressure I was putting on myself. Because I feel really lucky to be a girl today where it feels like so much of the culture, diet culture, body positivity, neutrality is a thing and a topic of discussion where, you know, I go online and go shopping and I see women who are my size, size eight, size 10, whatever. And it's normal. And it's like, yeah, that's how a woman looks. You know, it's not just the size zero, size twos who are gorgeous, who are beautiful, but like I see girls who look like me as well, which is really, really helpful. So I feel so lucky in that. Like no one was telling me to lose weight. No one was telling me, you need to have a six pack abs. You need to do this, do this, do this to be successful. I was telling myself that. Yeah. I was telling myself that. I was like, you know, every day we'd be on the road when it got really, really bad. You know, we would have catering. I would go have dinner before the show. And if I overate even just a little bit, I knew, you know, okay, I got to do something with this because I got to wear a crop top tonight and I want to look hot. I want to look good. And then even just seeing pictures of me after a show, that was that was hard too because I only because I was focusing so much on what I looked like. Like now I can see a picture of myself at a, you know, quote unquote, unflattering angle, whatever that means, right? Like, oh yeah, it's just whatever. Now I can see that and not think anything of it. It's like, yeah, that's me, you know, but two, three years ago, I would see a picture of myself, maybe an angle where like my double chin is showing and freak out and feel like, okay, I'm just not going to eat tomorrow. Um, it just was so triggering because it was all I saw about myself was the physical. It's all I focused on. Did anybody that was around you that was working with you, you said for a while, nobody knew, but did anyone ever find out about it or how did, how did you turn things around? Mm. So my husband's actually the first person that I told. And I think he knew something was going on because when we were around his friends or even my friends, like we would go out to dinner, I would eat and people would say stuff like, dang, Abby, like, I didn't know you could eat that much, you know? And I played off like, oh yeah, I got a big appetite. And they just didn't know I was throwing it up like right after I was eating it. And honestly, it felt like, it's weird, Karen, that I took pride in it. It was like this secret I had. And it was like, oh, yeah, I can eat however much I want. And, you know, I just go get rid of it. And it was like an F you to the world. 
like SeaWorld, I can do this and you can't say anything about it. This is mine. This is my little secret. And it, I felt like relieved when I would purge. It was like, it, it freaked, it started scaring me how good it felt to do it. Cause it literally felt like an emotional release. When I would binge eat, it felt like something I had to do. Like I would be, you know, struggling. I'd be feeling sad or whatever, angry. And the first thing I would think of is there's a Krispy Kreme down the street. I'm going to go get some donuts. going to go to Kroger, buy some cereal, you know, just all and just have a fest and just eat and eat until I felt sick and so full that I had to release it. And I'm really realizing now that was just my emotions. It, it was like the only time I felt like I was allowed to just get my fill and then just release it onto the world. And now what I've realized with recovery is I had to learn how to let myself do that with my emotions, to feel big feelings, to release those big feelings and to be comfortable with those big feelings. How did you find the courage. And by the way, courage doesn't mean that there wasn't fear and hesitation, but how did you find the courage to do this? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you left the the label that I you were, had originally signed for. So how did you do that? Oh gosh. I think I just, I hit a breaking point. And um, so 2019, we were busy, busy, busy. 2020, I was overseas in Europe on this big fancy tour, you know, and that everyone was called home because of COVID. And it was the first time in my life where I was able to sit still, just be still and ask myself. It was the first time I like looked at what I was doing and asked myself, Abby, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, what's this music you're recording you know what happened to that 17 year old girl who came to town and was like I'm gonna record the shit I want to record and I'm gonna do things my way I totally lost that girl you know and it was that that was the first time I was able to be like something's got to change here and I didn't know what at the time it was yet but I realized too like I was at I was in an environment where I was constantly being questioned every single day. Not, not the entertainment industry, like the people that were around me constantly saying, hey, you're being too goofy. Um, you can't wear that. Your boobs are too big. You can't wear that. Um, you're too this. You're being too loud. You know, show people that you're intelligent. I think people, people think you might be kind of dumb, uh, when you do interviews, just all that kind of stuff. And here's the thing, Karen, is like, looking back now, and I want to be careful too, because I really, like, they did so much for me. They poured so much time and money into me, and I'm so thankful for that. At the same time, too, I had to get out to heal myself because I couldn't be hearing that every single day. And the people pleaser in me just wanted to, you know, wanted to look to them be like is that okay like is how I'm talking this is okay is what I'm wearing okay blah, blah, blah. I was just tired of like pissing people off 
for being myself, <laughs> you know? And so the people pleaser in me was that, that was the biggest problem was I knew that I couldn't listen to my intuition there. Unfortunately, it just wasn't. And there's a lot of artists there who it works. Like they get along great. And in my experience with, with them, it was, you know, I just had to talk with them and I was like, Everything I love, you hate. Everything you hate, I love. So this just feels like bad business. Like, why are we, why are we doing this? You know, and you know, I, I signed that deal when I was nineteen. I mean, hell, you change a lot from nineteen to twenty-four. You know, and thankfully, I I learned that hey, I can find business partners who love me, who love like who I, my loudness, my energy, my, you know, my, my dirty mouth sometimes, like I can find a business partner who isn't scared of that. It's your true essence. Yeah. And what you were doing with the Krispy Kreme and the Kroger's and everything else was trying to push that down and silence it and saying, don't pop up. You can't, you're not allowed. And then there was another part of you with the purging that was like, I gotta get it out. This is also the difference between fitting in and belonging. Mm. You were trying, or they were wanting you to fit in. That wasn't working for you. By you, fit, quote unquote, fitting in, you had to walk away from everything that you value that's sacred to you. Belonging is being true to self in spite of what's happening in the community. And you still belong in the community. And people honor you for your differences and cherish you for that and welcome it. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a Maya Angela quote? She says something, I'm going to butcher it, but this quote changed how I viewed it too. She says something to the effect of like, the day you realize that you only belong to yourself is when you realize that is exactly what makes you belong. Like, I only answer to myself. I can be my full self. And that is what makes me relate to everyone. That's what makes me belong to groups and to people. And what does it feel like for you to be out in the world? Because by the way, that's also vulnerable. Meaning, you know, you've, you've been, you know, there's been negative consequences. But when I say negative consequences, people have told you like, don't do this. Don't be like that. So how does it feel to sort of like walk out into the world? Like an, an example I want to use is that on my website, I always say, I say, I was never afraid of dying from an eating disorder. I, was I love af- that quote. Oh, thank you. I was afraid to live in the world without it. Yes. So your cloak, your eating disorder was... It was my safety net. Your safety net, but it was spiritually killing you. Oh my gosh. Taking that off is both exciting and terrifying. So what, what is that like for you? Oh my gosh, Karen, it's so interesting. You say, I've never thought of it as it was spiritually killing me. Oh my gosh, because now I'm like, dang, yeah, it was. I mean, I think when when my eating disorder truly started to heal was the day I left my record deal because it was the first time I had, first of all, listened to my intuition and then acted on it. Up until that point, 23 years, 
of never acting or listening to my intuition because I was almost scared of it. Because I was told, I was programmed to think wrong, wrong, wrong. You're too sensitive. You're too this, you know, all that stuff. So I was scared to listen to it, much less act on it. What's so interesting is I was for a long time, I'd mentioned, you know, I grew up in a really, really Christian, like very strict home. And when I started to give myself freedom to like question the religion I was raised in, question everything about the things that I was doing that were on the surface supposed to make me a good person, right? But on the inside was making me feel like shit. (laughs) That's when things really started to change too. I gave myself permission to not go to church, to stop stop, um, doing things that wasn't making me feel good, that didn't give me joy. That's when things really, really, and that was scary because, you know, I was taught like, hey, this is the way to salvation. This is the way to live with God again. And to question all of that was so scary. But that's when I truly, truly found healing too, is just shedding all that shame and guilt and doing something that made me feel good. Not just because I was told, this is what makes you a good person. (laughs) And by the way, that is terrifying to go up against. But also what I want to point out is that the world did not fall apart when Abby Anderson went her own way. And meaning like when you stopped going to church, it might've been very difficult for your family, but we're not saying these decisions come, do not come with difficulties, but you move through them and then you come to a different place. So, you know, we're always so terrified. If I step out of line in one way, what's going to happen? What is the world going to say? The world don't care. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. They don't care about me. I care about me. Exactly. Right? Exactly. so, you know, people have often said like, you know, you know, people with eating disorders, they're so narcissistic. All they do is think about themselves. And I'm thinking it is, it is not the kind of thinking about yourself. First of all, narcissism is not a comfortable place to be regardless. It's not a positive. I, I, Abby, I used to think that like I would walk into a room and I've said this before on the show. I felt like I would walk into a room and the whole room would go dark and then there'd be a spotlight on me as I was walking in. And and in my mind, I thought people were thinking, what made Karen think it was okay to leave the house today? What made Karen think it was okay to be accepted in this room that she's Mm. invited, that she's allowed? That kind of self-absorbed, being that self-absorbed from that perspective is haunting because oh my gosh, moment of my life, every decision I made, every step I took, I was torturing myself first. I felt the same way. Like, you know, I, and I think a lot of, a lot of like conversations like this, were what kind of laid the foundation for my disorder in talking about like from as a young woman, you know, being told, hey, don't show your shoulders, dress modestly to protect men's thoughts of you. (laughs) So from a young age, I was taught I can control how people think of me, right? No, I can't actually. And realizing that 
is extremely freeing. I'm like, okay, I'm not responsible for your perception of me. I'm responsible for my perception of me. I'm responsible for how I feel about me. Not how you think, not of what you think about my shoulders or my boobs or my knees. Like, that's your problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's so freeing to just like, oh, get that weight off. You know, because I, I held on to that responsibility forever, for 23 years, you know, subconsciously feeling like, okay, well, if I can c- control how, and I'm responsible for how men think of me, then I'm definitely responsible for how women think of me. And how my following thinks of me and what they're saying about me. You know what I mean? And especially how my label views me and what they feel about me. Just thinking way more about what everyone else was thinking about me except for what I thought about me. How have things shifted for you in your music, in your, you know, your fan base and things like that? How have things shifted for you since you have been working from you? Here's an odd concept. Working from Abby, how how has that shifted for you? And also, please talk about Bad Posture, Insta- like any of the songs that you want to talk about. Thank you. How, how did it? It's changed everything. Yeah. It's changed everything. I feel like I'm that 16-year-old girl again, just like, you know, making the music I want to make and writing those big feelings and not caring, you know, if it works for radio, if it works for any other entity other than me. Like, this is the first time in my life I've written music where I'm like, do I like it? Am I proud of this? Does this resonate with me? Rather than, is country radio going to like it? Is so-and-so going to like it? Is my label going to like it? You know? And I think that's why, like, this is the first time I put on music that I feel like I've I've received the most messages about from girls my age and women just saying, like, oh, my gosh, I went through the same thing. Like, I feel so much closer to my fan base and to strangers who've never met me before because I'm being so honest with my story and my sound and everything is way more fun. It's crazy how effortless life is when you just do the shit you want to do. <laughs> you know what is so funny? My life is busier than it's ever been. I have a full practice. I have an outpatient center. I have the podcast. I have a relationship, my family. Like yeah. I have so, and for some reason, because it's all coming from my heart, it's all coming from my core. It's it's actually pretty easy. Like somebody said to me once, like, how are you doing all of this? And I'm thinking, I don't know. Oh, I know I'm passionate about what I'm doing. I'm doing what I value. And so when I'm, when I'm with my partner, I value him. And so I'm in that moment when I'm with my family, I value them. When I'm doing an interview, I value you right now. Same thing with my clients. My clients, give, they, they welcome me into their internal psyche. And I don't take that for granted. I used to work at at other places for less hours a week and I would be exhausted. Exactly, Abby, I would be so tired. I could barely make it to my bed. Now I'm working, I'm I'm working all the time and I I just, I don't even feel it because I'm suddenly, it's all, and I'm not saying this in a a selfish way. It's, it's all about me. And as a result, it's coming out to help others. Totally. 
Does that make Absolutely. sense? Oh, one hundred percent. I feel the same way. I feel exactly the same way. Can you talk about the song "Bad Posture"? Because yes. even as we're talking, I'm hearing it right now, and Yay. It, oh, it's <laughs> so beautiful. I can't stand it. It's Thank so you. it's amazing. Talk about the lyrics, what it's about, things like that. I um, so I wrote this song at the beginning of 2021. I had just left my record deal in 2020 and golly, leaving that was so scary. I think I, I think I cried every single day for like three months, but it felt more of a emotional purge of all the things I had been suppressing. And I just had to get it all out, you know? And so 2021, like January was like, wow, like I feel so light. I feel refreshed I feel new again and I was talking to my friend I wrote this with my good friend Anna Voss um, who's an incredible artist songwriter and we were hanging out in my place and talking for a few hours and just catching up on 2020 all the things we've learned all the things we worked on ourselves for and and I told her I was like Anna I don't know where or how but somehow I got it into my brain that I had to shrink myself physically and emotionally to make everyone around me feel more comfortable to be around me, right? And she said, Abby, it's so funny you say that because I have this title, Bad Posture, in my phone. It's been there for a year. And as soon as she said that, I was like, that's exactly how I feel. Everything from like literally, Karen, I remember hunching over my shoulders so that like, you know, my boobs wouldn't, like, offend anybody. <laughs> like, literally shrinking my, literally having bad posture so that I wouldn't, you know, God forbid someone looks at me, like, <laughs> or has a dirty thought or whatever. Like, <laughs> like, trying, again, trying to control men's thoughts of me or just anybody's thought of me. And, um... So that that song was literally the first time I was able to put into song what I'd been feeling for three years. Like, Abby, I you are allowed to be full physically, stomach. Like, you are allowed to eat a big-ass meal and feel full. You're allowed to go out into the world and be full of life and energy. And you know what? If people are offended by you, if people get, if people are intimidated by that, it's okay. That says nothing about you. You are allowed to show up as you are energetically, be loud, be whatever you want to be, wear what you want, say what you want. You're allowed to show up in the world fully. That's what that posture is about for me. Did you laugh and cry while you were writing this? Oh my gosh. <laughs> like all the, like, oh my gosh. I experienced like anger while I was writing it I was so pissed off and then I was sad I was like wanting to I was like holding my inner child that 19 year old girl that was so conflicted with everything and just and so happy at the same time I remember when I was in the studio recording this bad posture and insecure because insecure is definitely about my whole eating disorder too and and leaving my deal I just remember crying as like a rejoice, it, it felt like I was rejoicing for healing. Yeah. And honestly, Karen, there was a time where I never thought 
I was ever going to heal from it. And I remember crying in my hotel room so many nights just thinking like, how can I keep living like this? Like, I can't keep living like this, but I don't know how to heal. I don't know how to move on from this. And like what you said, I was more scared of living without a disorder than I was living with it. Yeah. And so you think leaving the record label was the first step? I think so. Many, many, many steps because there's a lot of steps that go along with it. Absolutely. Well, I think more so than that, it was all I had to do was listen to my intuition. That was the first step was listening to myself, you know, and not being, not being scared of the answer. Well, actually I take that back. Cause you can be scared of the answer. Sometimes, sometimes the answers you get are scary, but knowing that in your gut, it's true and you got to act on it. I say to clients all the time when they're like, I don't know if I can do this challenge. I'm scared. I'm like, you can be scared and do it anyway. Exactly. <laughs> like that doesn't, that's not where we stop because we need to move through that. It's okay. Be scared and do it anyway. And, and it's, it's a powerful, it's, it's, I, you know, there's nothing that I hold more sacred to my heart than being a recovered person from an eating disorder. And I don't wish an eating disorder upon anyone, Abby, in my, anyone. And I am who I am because of my experiences. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that I'm using it in a way that it, it was such a big part of me and, and you writing music about it. And I also want to say to anybody that's listening, you don't need to do anything with your recovery. It is not your job. You don't have to write music. You don't have to do a podcast or be a or therapist. Or talk about it. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to. And then there's, there's us that, that just can't, I can't not talk about exactly. it. Exactly. I'm like, I have to share this story with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I used to joke all the time when I was running groups that I used to have a microphone and I'd be like, hang on, is this thing on? And now look at me, I've got a microphone and I'm doing a podcast. It was like foreshadowing. I had no idea it was happening. No, I think you're right, Karen. Like there's so much, there's so much power in sharing our stories and the nitty gritty of it. Like I remember when I was going through my disorder, listening to podcasts like yours or just any podcast about recovery and eating disorders and like hearing what other women and men went through and I was like oh my gosh I'm doing the same thing it just made me feel like it was possible and I wasn't alone like hey this isn't something that only Abby's dealing with I'm not special <laughs> like this is actually a world problem you know so thank you for the work you do because it it definitely I know there's people listening to it out there that need your work. So Abby, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so sorry to say that we're gonna have to wind this down. Is there That's okay? Anything, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? Anything you want to say before we before we end the episode? I think we I think we hit all the points, Karen. <laughs> I think we could. So thank you for having me. This was this was therapeutic for me. Thank you. Abby, it truly was an honor and and your music is it I can feel it through my entire soul and being. And so and thank you for for sharing what you do. Happy to do it. Thank you so much. 
All right, everyone, that does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. You feel taller And I will complain to your problems felt smaller You'd say I was too much I was too loud So I would say sorry and keep my voice down I drink myself to make you feel taller you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram.
If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast sign up to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.